We're going to finish up this, or we're going to try to finish up this part of this Bible study tonight uh, that's entitled The Dark Side. Um, let's, let's begin with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the wisdom, Lord God, the direction to teach this, O oh God. And we pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would lead us and guide us tonight, O oh God. Father God, open our eyes and keep us focused, Lord God, on what's important. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So we've been, we've been talking about this. I think this is the sixth week we've talked about it. I'm going to be, we're going to be looking at John chapter 11 here tonight. But I think this is the sixth week, so uh, I'm just going to quickly recap how we got here, and then we're going to get into this. Um, we talked about that the, at one time there was just the kingdom of God. God in his sovereignty created the heavens and the earth. God owned it all, and um, Satan was a created angel. His name was Lucifer. He lived in heaven. He walked among the coals. Uh, some say he was an archangel that even had uh, dominion over the earth who made his capital at Jerusalem. That's what, that's what some writers say based upon some of the verbiage that they use in Ezekiel and Isaiah to describe Satan. And so Satan decided that he would become like God. He would become God and he would dethrone God. And of course he failed. And whenever he failed, he was cast down to the earth. And he was cast down to the earth. He took the earth into a place of chaos and confusion, uh, disruption, like he always does, because he is a chaotic creature. That He does not thrive in, in order. He thrives in chaos. And so when he came to earth, he made the earth chaotic. In Genesis 1-2, God recreated the earth. Then he put man on there, and he gave him authority over all the kingdoms of the earth, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, and the kingdom of man. But Satan gave that authority to the devil. And so now the devil upon the earth has set up his kingdom, which is the kingdom with power over the kingdoms of the plant world, the animal world, and the human world. And we wanted to talk, we talked about this for the last, if you go to page two, we've talked about things that are in the kingdom of Satan. And here's the things that we've talked about. These are all in scripture and they describe the things that are in the kingdom of Satan. Number one, his method is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He doesn't play. He's, he's, if he's playing, it's like a cat playing with a rat. He's just waiting and wear yourself out so he can kill you. Number two, he is the prince of the power of the air. Number three, he can transform himself into an angel of light. Now, here's what I want you to know about that. The devil can do things that make him appear godly. He can, he can pray prayers. He can talk in tongues. He can even perform miracles. If you get to the book of Revelation, you'll find out the false prophet performs miracles, calls fire down from heaven. But here's two things. Jesus said, by, your, by their fruit you will know them. So if you think somebody is really a man of God, but things just don't seem right, then here's two things to check. Number one, there's two things he can't do. He can't live right, and he can't tell the truth. If you think someone's godly and holy and, and just, you know, all that, and they're doing miracles and signs and everything, look at their life. If they can't live right, then they're not of God. It's that simple. I don't care if they're raising the dead. If they can't live right, then they're not of God. So, and they, they, can't live, they can't live a holy life, 
So check their fruit because the devil can transform himself into an angel of light. Number D, it says he works through carnal lust to gain control of the soul. And the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Number four, he is a liar. There's no truth in him. He's a murderer without remorse. Number F says he seeks to destroy those who are weak in the faith. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the devil goes about as a roaring lion. And we talked about last week the word roaring means, means it's the cries of wild beasts when they're ravenous with hunger. It's to devour, it's to drink down, and it's to utterly destroy. The words express the restless energy of the wicked one. He cannot touch those kept by the power of God, but he eagerly looks for any lost sheep that may have wandered from the fold. He roars in the craving of his heart for prey. Number G, this is where we kind of stopped last week. You know, we stopped at H. But G says, he works to stop the hearing of God's word. And I've watched this and seen this a hundred times, and you have too. Somebody, the, the word of God begins to convict somebody's heart. They begin to feel the power of God. They begin to know they're a sinner. And all of a sudden, they get fidgety with their phone. All of a sudden, somebody leans over and whispers to them. All of a sudden, some kid behind them pokes them with a, with a pencil. Something happens to try to break that call of God in their life. I can tell you and I, that Kathy and I, when we go to visit people in the hospital and we begin to pray for them, we know when we've touched God. Because when we touch God, the nurse comes in and interrupts our prayer. Or the phone on the debt beside the bed will ring and interrupts our prayer. Or the phone will go off in their hand with somebody that they got to talk to and it interrupts our prayer. And I know good and well when that happens that we've touched God. God, we're on the verge of a miracle. Something's just about to happen and the devil works to stop the hearing of God's word. He, he does that. So you just, you just need to be aware of that. Um, we, work, we talked about number H last week, and that is he works to sow discord in the church. He works to sow discord in the church. We talked a little bit, and let's, let's turn over there. We talked about Proverbs chapter 6, and I told you last week, if you, if you ever memorize Scripture, you need to memorize these Scriptures. These are, the, these are some that you need to memorize. If we go to Proverbs chapter 6, this is the way the devil sows discord in the church. Any church that's ever split goes through these steps. Any, any group of people that's ever split off of a church mad about something starts with these steps because this is what the devil does. The devil has never come into a church. Listen to me real closely here. The devil has never come into a church to cause problems unless he was wearing somebody's pants or somebody's skirt. He don't come in here and sit on the front seat and cause trouble. But if he can get somebody that's wearing a pair of pants or somebody that's wearing a skirt to get caught up in pride, caught up in suddenly thinking it's important that they're happy, it's all about them. You know, the lights have to be right because they want it right. The sound's got to be right. The preacher's got to be right. The board's just not doing enough. We, we spent too much money here. We didn't do enough there. We had a church vote. Everybody else agreed. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not happy with it. That's the way the devil works. First of all, if you look at Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, These things that the Lord hate, yea, seven, are an abomination to him. Number one, a proud look. Number one, a proud look. When you start swelling up with pride, and you won't even know you're doing it. Sometimes you just think you're trying to help. 
But if you're the only one trying to help and everybody else looks down at the floor, when you start talking, you're, you're, probably, you're probably doing more than trying to help. <laughs> Number one, swelling up with pride, a pride look. And once you get a proud look, then these other things start to come. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood by talking, by causing trouble, by, by, by causing dissension, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and run into mischief, a false prophet that speaks lies, and then the final step of all this downfall is you will sow discord among the brethren. Any church that's ever split, any church that's ever you know, had a problem like that usually begins with somebody or some group of people that swells up with pride. And then once pride comes in, it gives the devil an opportunity to be able to come in and start doing things inside the church. So a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift and run into mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. Now last week we ended with this, and we'll start with this this week. If we go to 3 John, and i just like to make this reference because you don't ever hear anything about 3 John. So let's go over to 3 John. 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, believe it or not. That's where it is, right there beside 2. <clears throat> 3 John, we find this in action. Here we go, 1 John, I mean 3 John, uh, verse, uh, verse 5, John says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatever you do to the brethren and to strangers who have borne witness of thy charity before the church. Whom if thou bring forward on thy journey after a goodly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We ought therefore to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. So he's talking about missionaries who have gone out of their own accord, and they have witnessed to the Gentiles of their own money. They haven't asked any money of anybody else. They've gone on their own expense, and now they're coming back to the church to tell the, tell the things God has done to maybe take a love offering. They want to, be, they want to, they want to go back, and so they, they want to come back. And so that's what John's talking about. And he says, I wrote unto the church by Diophtrenes, Diophtrenes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them. Can you hear pride in that? Who loveth to have the preeminence among them, received us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he does, Pratting against us how? With malicious words. Remember those six things? With malicious words, not content, neither does he receive the brethren, forbidding them that would. So in discord among the brethren, forbidding them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. For he that doeth good is of God, and he that, hath, he that doeth evil has not seen God. So here in 3 John, we see an example of the, of the devil getting in the church and using pride to start to cause discord among the brethren. And at the end, he, he sows the discourse that he does. So that's one of, the, that's one of the, the pillars of the kingdom of Satan. Lastly tonight is the devil can oppress man. A power exercised for harm to exercise dominion over and to enslave. You heard a testimony about it tonight. The devil came in with fear and he tried to oppress Brent's faith. He tried to bring him under subjection. He tried to discourage him. He tried to depress him. 
He tried to put him in a state to where he couldn't, he couldn't see God or hear God or know God. That's what he did, and that's what the devil does. He comes to try, and he can oppress our minds. He can oppress a man's thoughts. He can bring in depression. He can bring in, to a Christian, he can bring in anxiety. He can bring in depression. He can bring in anger. I know none of y'all have ever experienced that. He can bring in all these emotions and, and, and put us in positions and oppress our minds to where we feel the stress and the pain and the agony and, and everything that goes along with all the pressures of life. He can amplify those things in our mind. He can make a doctor's report sound, sound like, it's, like it's too big for God to deal with. He can do those things. But, but, but Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the casting down of strongholds, tearing down imaginations and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So the devil can oppress us, but God gives us the power to overcome that oppression. We don't have, if depression is coming upon you, you don't have to stay depressed. Now, I know you can't just shake it off. I, I understand. <laughs> shake it off. Isn't that a song? Shake it off. I, I know you can't just shake it off. I tried that. I know you can't do that. I thought if I just thought happy thoughts, I'd get out of the depression. I did not. I can tell you that depression is real. I never thought it was until I started getting depressed, and then I found out it was. But I also can tell you that, that there's a way out of it. Hallelujah. <laughs> I can tell you that the weapons of... Mm, I can tell you that the weapons of my God are greater than the power and the authority of the devil. And he can bring fear and he can bring pain and he can bring torment and he can bring depression and he can bring anxiety and he can bring all the tricks in his book. He can bring them to me, but it's up to me whether or not I receive them. He can put that stuff around me. He can put it on me. He can pressure me. But if I can find a place where I can touch the hem of his garment, all of those things disappear in a moment. I'm going to tell you that about three weeks ago, I was sitting in my office and there was, I, I was, it, my mind was just, I, I was, I was under a lot of, I don't know why I was under pressure to be honest with you, but I really was. There was just so many things going on in my head. I was thinking about all the things that we, that we're doing. I was thinking about, you know, and then the devil starts bringing it. Well, you know, the church isn't growing. You know, what are you doing there? You've been there 16 years. It's about, you know, just all, all, all that stuff, you know, coming, you know, you're just not making any headway and, and this happened and that's happened and you're just not doing any good here and doing blah, 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 blah. You know, when you, if you hear it long enough, if you hear it long enough, it, it, it starts to make sense if you listen to it long enough. And I'm going to tell you, I was in there, and, and I, was, I was almost, I wasn't shaking from just, you know, but I was, I was about to <laughs> scream. <laughs> I felt like it, and I did. Sarah was gone. Heather had gone. I was here by myself, and I closed, closed the door. <coughs> I came in here. <coughs> I simply stood right here, and I said, Jesus, I can't take this. Jesus, I've got to have you. Lord God, you're greater than this, and I can't take this anymore, and I can't beat it, but I know you can. And that's all I had to say. That's all I had to say. I didn't have to cast nothing out. I didn't have to bind nothing. I just had to say, God, I know this is of the devil, and I can't beat it, but I know you can. And as soon as I said those words, my, all of my fears went away. All of those clouds went away. All of that pressure went away. And I was home, and, and Kathy didn't even have to fuss at me. It was so good. 
Because sometimes I bring that home. Sometimes I bring it home and she has to help me get through it. But that particular day, I just called on the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord and you can be saved. Praise God. He's as close as the mention of his name. And when you're fighting against the power of death of the devil, there's nothing, no better name to use than the name that's above every name. Hallelujah. Call it in faith, believing that God's going to rescue you. And he will. He will. He'll defeat oppression and all the works of the devil. The last, uh, the last part of this about the kingdom of devil, uh, kingdom of Satan, is he can possess a man if he's allowed and you have to allow it. A spirit-filled Christian can never be possessed. You can be oppressed, but possessed means that you allow the devil to come in. And a spirit-filled person, a man that's saved, let's just say a man that's saved, if you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, you can't be demon-possessed. If that devil can get through that blood, then I don't know what I'm talking about. Because the blood of Jesus Christ is power, more powerful than any work of the devil. And if it can wash away my sins and cause my sins to be cast as far as the east and the west, if it can s separate God and man, if it can, I mean, put God and man back together, the things that the blood of Jesus Christ can do, if you tell me, well, I think a man can be, a Christian can be devil-possessed, I'll say your, your blood's not as strong as my blood because the blood of Jesus Christ defeats that devil. He was defeated at Calvary. He wasn't just bothered. He was, he was defeated. We're going to get to that. But anyway, um, the, the, the example we used, real, real quick, these things always go longer than I think. At John 13, we talked about it a couple of Sundays ago about Judas. And if we go to John 13, we, we're, we're at the, we're at the, the Passover supper. Judas has already done his dirty work. He's, he's about ready to, to go out and, and finish his deed here of deceiving, of, of turning in Christ, of, of betraying the Lord. And we see that Jesus is, is, is offering him a sop, which I told you a couple of weeks ago, it, it's, it's the protection, it's the promise, it's the handfuls of purpose. It's, it's to tell Judas, I love you and I want you to be a part of my team. And we see that Jesus offered that in verse 26, chapter 13. It says, and Jesus answered, he to whom I give a sop, that's a piece of bread, when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, and, the, and after the sop. So when Judas took the sop, but still was determined to betray Jesus, when he made that decision, then the Bible says Satan entered into him. And when Satan entered into Judas, the last time I see Judas, he's dangling from a rope. Because the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, I want to say one more thing real quick about this. And that is, if somebody comes to this church and they are demon-possessed and they don't act out, if, if you look at them and you say, something wrong with them, something wrong with that guy. There's something wrong with him. But if he's content to sit on that pew and he's content to come to church here and he doesn't cause a scene, then I'm not going to do anything either. Because if he's dancing with that devil, then there ain't no sense in me trying to cast him out because he's dancing with him, so he don't want him out. But if he comes here and he manifests and he starts writhing like a snake and acting like an animal and we realize that that's a devil, then we're going to deal with it. Because when we get to that point, he wants to be free. 
And if he wants to be free and that devil wants to fight against us, well, then I know someone that's greater than the devil. And we will fight against it and we will win and we will cast him out. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But I'm not going to go disturb an ant bed or a hornet's nest because if the hornets are happy there, then that's fine. But if they start coming out of there and attacking me, we're going to do something. Right? So a devil, the devil can possess a non-Christian. He can come in and take over his spirit. He can do those things. So those are all, those are things that's within the kingdom of Satan. Um, now this is a list I made. I couldn't find a list, so I made a list. If you can think of something else that you want to add to this list, anybody, we've been doing this for three weeks, so you've had plenty of time to think about it. Do, 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 do. Okay, time's up. All right. So let's go back to Luke chapter 11. And we're going to talk about three other things about the kingdom of the devil or about the devil. We talked about his kingdom. We listed the things that make up his kingdom. And now let's talk about a couple other things that you need to know about the devil. Number, number two, Satan's kingdom forces will never come against a person's strength or when they are in, in a position of strength. If we looked at Luke chapter 11 verses 21 and 22, it says, when a strong man armed keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than him shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him all of his armor wherewith he trusted and divides his spoils. So what I'm telling you about that is the devil's never going to come to you whenever you're at your strength. Whenever you're looking for a devil and you know you can whip him with a switch, <laughs> he's not looking for you. Not looking for you. He's going to stay away from you. But when you're down, when you're having a hard time, when your finances are in trouble, when your marriage is in trouble, whenever your kids are in trouble, or whenever you're, you know, if you have a, a, particular, a particular thing that, that, that always seems to defeat you, if you have a particular, a particular lust, a particular something that you're trying to overcome, you're, you're doing your best to overcome it, the devil's not going to come at you whenever he knows that he can't get you. But if you get off in a room by yourself and then you're a little bit depressed anyway and a few other things happen, then he's going to come in there and tap you on the shoulder and says, hey, why don't you? Because he's always going to come when you're at your weakest and he's always going to attack you in your weakest. He's never going to... He, he would do no good. It would be a total waste of time for him to par parade some young, sweet thing in front of me thinking I'm going to leave my wife and go somewhere else. That's a stupid waste of time because, man, why would I leave this? When you got steak at the house, you're not interested in bologna. Right? Am I right? I'm right. So to, to try to do that with me is stupid. I, that's, that's a waste of time. He's not going to come that direction. But there are some things that I am kind of weak in. And if I don't keep my guard up, and if I don't stay, if I, if I let myself get a little too far out there, if I don't keep it under the, if I don't keep it crucified, if I let it raise its head a little bit and entertain it, then the next thing I know, I'm getting whispers in my ear. Next thing I know, things are going on around me that says, hey, you need to go this way, you know. Why? Because I've let the devil have a little foothold. 
And once he gets a little foothold, he comes in at that weak point. He don't come in in the strength. He, he's not going to fight me in my strength. He's going to fight me at my weakest point. I mean, if you're a, if you're a defensive football coach, you're not going to try to stop the – I mean, if you're an offensive football coach, you're not going to run at the defensive strength. You're not going to try to go against their best player and say, well, let's just see if we can beat him. That's not what you want to do. You want to get the rookie. You want to get the guy over here that, that doesn't play very much, that doesn't – or maybe he's not as not – as, or maybe my strength against his weakness. That's what you want, right? Because that's how you make yards. Does that make sense? And so that's what you do, and that's what the devil does. He, he looks for my weakness, and once he finds my weakness and he finds me at that point, then he starts bringing in thoughts. He starts bringing in conversations. I'll start seeing certain things on YouTube that I don't normally see. I said, where did that come from? Well, I don't know, but let's just watch it. You know? Am I the only one that does this? Y'all are looking at me like, well, I've never done that, Pastor. I'm, we'll pray for you, brother. That's what he does. He comes against me in my very weakest point, and he tries to destroy me through that area. Let's look at, I want to look at Matthew 4 real quick. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4. When Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered, and the tempter came at him, saying, If thou be the Son of Man, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It's written, Man by not, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I want you to, I want you to notice a couple of things about this. Number one, um, the, the tempter, we, we read, first of all, that Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Mark, because Mark has an interesting twist on this. That, that Matthew really doesn't do, but Mark, in his speaking to the Romans, which were people that were uh, a little bit more forceful, if we go to Mark chapter 1, verse 13, we'll find this same story, not near as in, in depth, much condensed, but we find Mark 1, 13, it says, immediately the Spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast and the angels ministered to him. So the word tempted here in this particular passage is a little bit different word than it is in, uh, in Matthew. Because, and if you look on your sheet, the word is uh, P-I-E-R-A-Z-O, Pierzo, and it means probing or entangling a person in sin in order to show one unapproved. So this temptation, it wasn't, the devil didn't wait 40 days to show up. He started on day one. But on day one, what was the strength level of Jesus? He was at his strongest. He had just, he had just been baptized. The Holy Spirit just sat on his shoulder like a dove. I mean, you know, he's, he's a hundred foot tall and made of steel. And the first day, the devil starts probing. He's probing, he's probing, he's probing. He's, what's he probing for? He's looking for a sin in him in order to show Jesus unapproved. So he's probing, and he probes. And the 40th day, the Bible says, and he hungered, and the devil found his spot. 
And he said, command the bread, phones to be made bread. You see, he probed for 40 days. But then on that, that particular day, it says the position of the word, read this with me, the position of the word tempted in Mark is in the present participle form, meaning that the word tempted expressed a continuous or repeated action. So the devil didn't wait 39 days to show up and then tempt him on the 40th day. He probed him every day. He came to him every day probing, looking for somewhere that he could catch Christ. And finally, on that 40th day, he found his spot, and that was Jesus hungered. And that's what the devil does with us. He probes and pushes and, 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 and does the things he does until he catches us in a spot where, we, where we're weak in an area, and then that's where he exploits. That's the way he works. Uh, if we turn to Mark, Mark 14, Mark, Mark 14, you're in Mark 1, so it's about 13 pages over. Mark 14, and we read verses 29 through 31. We read this. Are you there? Peter said unto Jesus, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Now, where are they at when he says this? They're at the Passover, man. They just, got through, they just got through doing the Passover. They just got through being with Jesus. He just got through saying, you know, the next time we drink this, we're going to drink this in glory. You know, and he's telling them all this story. And then all of a sudden, he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no, not me. Not me, 29. Although all shall be offended, I'll never be offended. Let's look at verse 38. Jesus tells Peter, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation, for the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh, but the flesh is weak. The spirit's ready. All the end is, I'll die with you, Lord, but the flesh is weak. Let's look at verses 16, 67 through 69. By the way, Peter didn't watch and pray. What did Peter do? Peter slept. Three times he slept till finally Jesus said, never mind. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> never mind. Three times he slept. Because he slept, he, he gave the devil an opening. Because he slept, he gave the devil an opening. And in verse 67, rough, tough, rough, tough Peter, a man's man, strong, powerful, take their heads off Peter, comes and when and when Peter was beneath the palace, there comes to him one of the maids, little old maid girl, little, little, little bitty thing, came to him, kind of like Christina here, just a little, little petite girl, comes up there, and she just says, she saw Peter warming himself in verse 67, and she looked up on him and said, weren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? Can you just hear her saying that? Hey, weren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? And what did rough, tough Peter said? And he denied, saying, I know not what, neither understand what you say. <laughs> I don't know what you're even talking about. He said, and he went out on the porch in the cock crew. So what do we find? Rough, tough Peter, I'll die with you. I'll go with you to the cross. I'm not afraid. I got my sword. Man, we'll take, we'll take all their heads off. Jesus said, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Instead of praying, he slept. And because he slept, he opened up a place of weakness. And where did the devil probe? Right there in that weakness. And that's what the devil does. He First of all, he finds a place of weakness and he probes that place of weakness. Number three, it says Satan's kingdom forces never stop this probing action. 
Go back to, go over to Luke, back to Luke chapter 11. Am I going too fast tonight? Are y'all with me? Luke chapter 11. Let's go back there. Luke chapter 11. So the devil try, finds a position of weakness and that's where he attacks. Matthew, Luke chapter 11, verses 24 and 26. It says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, so whenever a man gets saved and all that uncleanliness goes out of him and, 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 and he becomes saved, all his sins forgiven. When the unclean spirit's gone out of a man, he walks through dry places seeking rest and finds none. He says what? I will return to the house where I came out of. So he comes back. You ever seen somebody get their healing? And they were healed and they walked out of here healed. And a couple of days later, they're sick again. They, you say, what happened? That devil came back, found that house clean and garnished, and he put a, probed in that weakness and said, oh, you're not really healed. That knee's kind of hurting again. Just reach down there and feel it and see if it's not hurting again. And next thing you say, well, yeah, it is kind of hurting. Where are you? Right back, right back in pain again. Okay, so. When the unclean spirit goes out, he walks through dry places, finding none. And when he comes back, he finds it swept and garnished. And then goeth he and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So the devil is always probing. He's all, you, you, you defeat him in one area, he's going to come back and he's going to probe another area. You defeat him in that area, he's going to come back and probe another area. The, the greatest thing about heaven, one of the greatest things about heaven is you won't have to deal with the devil. You won't have to deal with this flesh, this, this wicked, lustful flesh that loves to sin. You won't have to deal with it because the devil comes back constantly and constantly probes. Constantly, you know, if you have, if you have trouble with your language, he'll come back there and he'll put you in situations and he'll probe your language and Try to get you to say something bad. Try to get you to raise your voice. Try to get, put you in a position where you want to talk ugly. He, he probes, you know, whatever it is. He'll come back and he just keeps probing and keeps pushing and, and trying to find a door that's unlocked. And, and he'll even put a good thought in your mind sometimes. Oh, if I do that, I might win the world for Jesus. And instead of winning the world for Jesus, you find yourself right back in the pit, you know. So he's probing, he's pushing, he's always trying to find a place to get in. Always trying to find a place. And if he ever finds that place and he comes in and he finds it swept and garnished and uninhabited, uninhabited, if you've let the Lord, if you let the Lord kind of drift away there a little bit, and the devil comes back and he finds that place swept and garnished and uninhabited. Then he gives a big old yahoo. He goes out there and tells seven of his buddies about it. And they come back and they start driving you. And by the time they finish herding you around, you're in worse shape than you were when you started. I heard a, I heard a guy speak one time and he was... Uh, he said the bad thing about drugs is, is you, when, when, you, when, you, when you get high, you've got a refrigerator and it's full of stuff and you've got all your friends there and then you get high and then when you come down, you find out your friends had ate all your stuff and somebody took your refrigerator. <laughs> and that's how it is. Because in the, in the, I mean, that's, that's, 
that's kind of funny, but that's how it is. The devil comes in and he finds a place that's empty, swept, and garnished and uninhabited. And when he does, he brings seven of his buddies. And whenever they're done, not only have they taken all your food and taken all your stuff, but they stole your refrigerator too. So that's, that's the way the devil works. Um, we've got a lot of scriptures on this. Let's look at, uh, let's look at Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. This is a very, very important scripture. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. This speaks about the very thing I just told you about. Hebrews 6, 4 says, For it is, what does it say? Impossible. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they fall away to renew unto themselves repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. So does that mean that when I backslide, I might as well forget it because God's never going to have me back? Is that what that scripture's telling me? No. That scripture's not telling me that at all. It's not telling me that if I get saved and I get filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm on I'm fire for God and I'm doing everything right and somehow I, one of these things happen and I get probed and I, I lose out with God and I backslide and I back, end back right in the pit I came out of, it doesn't mean that it's impossible for me to get back. That's not what that scripture's saying. Not at all. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness no matter where you are no matter where you, how you got there, doesn't matter. If you figure out that you're lost and you need Jesus and you ask God to help you, he will forgive you and cleanse you and put a robe back on you and a ring back on your finger and a crown back on your head and put you back in the kingdom of God and say, come on, son, let's, let's do better. God loves you. He's not against you. He is for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will go with you to the ends of the earth. And that scripture does not say that if you backslide, you can never be forgiven. That's not what that scripture is even about. This scripture is about someone who allows themselves to lose the power of God in their life. And that devil comes back and he probes them and he finds them in a condition that the word fallen away in the King James Version, I don't know what yours says in verse 6, but mine says fall away. Those two words together mean someone who has become so willfully careless that they no longer care. That's what that scripture is talking about. It's not talking about someone who feels the conviction of God, knows they can do better, knows that God can forgive them, knows that church is the place they're supposed to be, even though they're out in the world, lost, drugged, crazy, stealing, robbing, in jail, whatever. You put whatever you want there. If you can come to your senses and say, God, forgive me, you're forgiven. Baby, it's that, it's that easy. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of repentance. And if you can find a spot where you say, God, forgive me, I don't know how I got here, but this is terrible, set me free, then Jesus will come, forgive your sins, wash you in the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit enters back in, and we start to walk all over again. Amen? But if you become willfully careless to where you know that you're in bad shape, but you don't care, where you've walked away from God, but you no longer care, 
where you get to the point to where everything is just numb to you. You don't care about God. You don't care that you've lost your family. You don't care that you've lost your children. You don't care that you've lost your job. You don't care that you're out there eating dirt. You don't care. If you get to that point to where life means nothing to you and you would just as soon kill somebody as you would to look at them and you are so willfully careless that none of those things bother you whenever you once knew God, but you've got to this point, that's what God is saying, it's impossible. Why is it now impossible? Why is it now impossible? Because you don't care. You don't care. Is it hard to discipline a child who doesn't care? Is it hard to discipline a child that says, I don't care if you whip me. I don't care if you take my game station. I don't care what you do. I'm not doing my homework. I don't, I don't care. Whip me, ground me. Run my friends off, take all my stuff. I don't care. How do you discipline a child like that? How do you make them care? How, you, 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 it's, it's a hard thing to do. And with an adult, it's even harder. Because if you're at the point that you don't care about God, and you don't care about life, and you don't care about your children, and you don't care about your family, and you don't care that you're going to hell, and you can laugh about the whole mess and say, well, praise God, I'll just be shaking hands with everybody when I get there. How are you going to get saved? you got to know you're lost before you get saved. If you don't care, if you've known God and you've experienced God and you've loved God and you've been a part of God, but now you've will become willfully careless and you're out there now and you don't care about nothing, that's what that scripture is talking about. Someone who has come so willfully careless that they just don't care. They don't care that they're lost. They don't care that they're going to go to hell. They don't care that they don't. They don't care that they've lost it. They don't care that they're living in a tent. They don't. They don't care that 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 the whole world's. They don't care. Then the Holy Spirit can't deal with their hearts because they don't care. Does that does that make sense? Does that make sense to you? So this scripture is not saying if you fall away from the Lord you're done. Because. If you, if you care enough to say, God, I know where I need to be and I'm sorry, then hold, you're, you're forgiven that fast. Boom, it's done. But the devil tries to get you in a position where you just don't care anymore. You just don't care. And if he can get you there, then he's got you in a bad spot. Last, yes. Oh, no, you can't because I was just about to finish. But go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 
You are. And if you ever get to the point, you know, you can, you can actually get to the point where you can, you can live like the devil. You can go out on Saturday nights and, and live like the stinking devil, live like an animal on Saturday night. Close down the bars, act crazy, get bounced out by bouncers. You can, you can live like an animal on Saturday night and come into church on Sunday morning and sing with Mike and think everything's okay and, and, and just think, well, you know, it's just life. If you, but why, how can you do that? How can you do that? Because you become so willfully careless that you just don't care. You're just in it for you and you don't care about nobody else. You don't care about nothing else. You don't, you don't care. And God can't save you if you you got to feel you got to know you're lost. <laughs> if you're sitting there saying, "Well, you know, I don't, I don't care," you know, let them do what they want. I don't care, you know. It's just it's just a dangerous spot, and the danger is it is that you don't care. That's the danger, and that's where the that's where the devil's trying to get you. That's that's my point. He probes and finds a spot. Then once he finds a spot, he starts probing that spot. Then he starts exploiting that spot, bringing in seven people with him. And the goal is to get you not, not to where you're so far in sin that, you, that you've lost out with God, but the goal is to get you so far numb with everything that you just don't care anymore. Because as long as there's a feeling that I'm lost, that seed of God remains in you. As long as there's a feeling that I need to get right with God, as long as that feeling's there, there's hope that you can get saved, no matter how far you've gone. There's hope that you can get saved, that you can be that, that prodigal that wakes up one day in the pig's pen and says, wait a minute, why am I eating this slop? My daddy's servants live better than this. As long as there's that hope, then you can come back. But when you get to where you're happy eating the slop and you don't care no more, do you see what I'm saying? And that's where the devil's probing tries to get you. He tries to find a place of sin in you so he can exploit that, and then he'll start using oppression and piling guilt on top of that and trouble on top of that, and, and, and eventually, if you don't deal with it, you'll get numb and you just won't care no more. And when you get to that point, that's dangerous. Yes, ma'am. Yes. It's a bad spot. It's, it's when you get to the point that you just say, I don't care anymore. And, and I don't mean that you don't care about yourself. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that you don't care that you're not in right relationship with God. You can not care about yourself but still not want to go to hell. But when you get to the point that you just don't care about any of it, you don't care if there's a God, not a God, a heaven, a hell, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Yeah, and... Um, that's just a dangerous spot. And that's where the devil tries to take us. Okay, well, it's y'all's fault I didn't finish. Oh, God. Okay, so hang on to these, please. Hang on to these. Put those in your Bible, and next Wednesday night, 
We'll finish this page because the next part of this Bible study is good. I'm ready to get, I'm tired of talking about the devil. I'm ready to talk about Jesus. <laughs> we got to finish this before we get to that. So anybody have any questions? Anybody confused? I don't, I don't want you to leave out of here saying, well, he said, I'm, I'm going to hell. I, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. If you're here, if you're here, then you're concerned. If you made it here tonight, you're concerned. So anybody have any, if you have a question or a comment or you want to talk to me about something, I'll be right here. Stand with me tonight. Five minutes late. Always. Always five minutes late. Every time. Do what? Turn your clock back. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for this Bible study. Father, I pray, oh God, that it's been beneficial to our hearts, our minds, and our souls, Lord God. Father God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, O God. And we thank you, Almighty God, that you are maturing us in Christ, O God. That we won't be babes, O God, not able to understand the sincere meat of the word, O God, but that we can take the word of God, Lord, and we can grow, Father God, and become strong Christians, Lord God, capable of overcoming all the wiles of the kingdom of the devil. And Lord God, we thank you for that opportunity tonight, God. I praise you for this congregation. I pray that you love them, keep them, keep your hand upon them, God, guide them and lead them throughout the remainder of this week. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.